This is Octave Leap. Innovation, regeneration, and human optimization. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Octave Leap live stream. And we're here kicking off the month of August, um, talking about community. And I feel like this is such an important topic because this is really the spirit of why I started Octave Leap and also what we're all building towards. And I think these days I'm noticing there's more and more discussions around this theme of community. And um, it's such a hot topic, but we're still kind of all figuring out what that looks like. So I'll ask the question, what is community? That's, that's probably a good start because we all ha can have very different definitions of what that looks like. And when we have different definitions around this, um, it's kind of impossible to build anything until we get clear and find a cohesive definition that works for everyone. Because some people think community is building an eco-village, you know, when you uh, use permaculture and biodynamic farming and, you know, you build your houses out of hempcrete or uh, you, you li everyone lives in geodesic domes. Or it's a more kind of throwback to pre-industrial revolution and we do a uh, like a more agrarian type of community where people are farming together and they're living uh with low technology or not so much technology. It's kind of the way that we all lived before uh, the 18th century. Other people may define community as gathering with others of a common interest and supporting each other. And finally, some people might think community is actually about rallying around a spiritual or ideological guru, and uh, they might call that community. So these are kind of four of the main camps or areas where I feel like uh, community falls into. But it seems to me, <laughs> despite this, we're all kind of gen genuinely confused about what it really means. Because we each have our own definition that falls somewhere between one of those four camps. And ultimately, what I realize is we're looking for connection. You know, Connection is a basic human need. Really, there's a physiological effect that goes with connection because it satisfies our mammalian brain and our entire limbic system really is nourished and vitalized and rejuvenated when we're seen, when we're heard, when we can be of legitimate value to others. You know, it gives us a tremendous amount of boost to actually be of service in whatever way possible. You know, I get a huge hit out of doing this show and having people appreciate the fact that I'm, I'm doing this show. So I genuinely love to hear that and hear feedback. So please, if you've got any comments on how you like the show, I love reading them. <laughs> Even if they're, you know, constructive criticism. So connection, it literally revitalizes us on a physiological level. And it's healthy to be in proper connection with others. But it's also one of those things that not everybody knows how to do because the way that the world is today, especially in Western society, we are very, very starved of connection. We experience more isolation. You know, we have a job, we go to the job, we come home, we 
watch TV, we connect with people online. There's plenty of digital distractions to keep our attention, uh, to grab our attention, or we're forced, you know, the big thing that I, I always talk about this is we're forced to meet our bottom line. And I think that um, the pressure of uh, paying the bills every day, of meeting that bottom line is so great that we can just tune out of everything else. I was there. I was there for many years when I worked my job um, as an environmental consultant. And yeah, it was it was a decent job sometimes. I eventually grew very tired of it. Um, but you can just sort of get into this rhythm of, okay, all I got to do is just keep on the hamster wheel. And, you know, somebody described it as a hamster wheel once, and I kind of got chills up my spine um, because, you know, I left university with such like a, a passion and like a real desire for change in the world. And then uh, when you're in the workforce, you see sort of how all that kind of gets dumbed down and you end up on this just repetitive hamster wheel. And nobody's really questioning anything. Everybody just keeps doing what they're doing for the very purpose of perpetuating the thing that they're doing. So there's really no point to it. And what we're actually doing is we're supporting a system, a societal system. And we don't really question it, or some people do, but as a collective, we don't really question the system enough. You know, if it's good, if the system's even right, if giving the majority of our life force and pouring it into this system is a good idea or not. Of course, I think people who eventually leave the workforce in that way and, and choose to do their own thing or build their own business, I feel like those people are ones who get it. They, they say, you know what, I, I actually can't serve this old system. I've got to do my part in creating a new system. Because when we serve the old system, there's a comfort that goes in this. It lets us be an individual and have our own little individual preferences and give us a gilded cage to live in. But at the same time, our hands are tied. You know, just look around, for instance, over the last two years, how many doctors knew better, but kind of went along with it because they had a fear of losing their job, a fear of not being able to meet their bottom line if they spoke up. If they said what they knew to be true, they knew that they were going to have a problem. And so we're sort of in this awkward place with an elephant in the room and we kind of keep going. And I say that this leads us into the cult of individualism where we can have our preferences. You know, you can, on the weekend, you can go skiing or you can go mountain biking or, you know, you can take two weeks off a year and go traveling to Mexico or, um, you know, Italy or somewhere like that. But outside of that, we're experiencing this, it's, it's, it's meant to fill a void of, you know, this thing that's missing, this connection that's missing, this true connection, this meaning in life. And I know this because I've done and I've led a lot of authentic relating and authentic connection, especially when Vanessa and I were in Bali. We were doing this with sound journeys and we would also do uh, some form of authentic connection in, in these games. And sometimes you'd see these people that were freshly out of Europe or North America and they're like, oh my God, I've never related to people like this before. I've never honestly just looked somebody in the eye and told them how I felt not even about them, but just about myself. I've never had the opportunity to speak and be vulnerable. So I just want to pose a question to you guys right now, and I'm going to put it up here in the banner. What do you feel strongly and never get to say? I think this 
this is a really important question to ask yourselves. What do you feel strongly about? Um, you know, it could be your own thing, could be something you feel about in the world, about your family, about friends, but you just feel like you never get to say it. You never have the right people or you have never have the right opportunity to actually speak that to somebody else. So just contemplate that, think about that, because this is really moving us in the direction of taking off the armor so that we can connect with people. And that's the first step, you know, is, is really taking off the, the armor, the things that kind of keep us saying, oh, I'll just go back to my own little world over here. You know, because I find a lot of the time, and you'll see this with, with community, and I'll get into it a bit later, but the people that desperately want community the most and will go to the extent to force it are also the ones that have a lot of these patterns of withdrawal, a lot of these patterns of staying closed off. And so really, a lot of us don't know what true connection is. We're disconnected and lonely by design of society and by these ancestral patterns that have been uh, bred into us. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I live in Africa right now and I see the Africans. They do community very naturally in their townships. You know, sometimes even I've seen Africans and you can, they can have a good opportunity, even something they really want. Like maybe it's a job opportunity and they won't take it because they'll have to leave their family behind. And so it's very interesting how uh, tight knit and how loyal to family and community they are. And it's, it's very different. I mean, I'm not sure many of, uh, you know, us could live like that. You know, I think we've, uh, we've been conditioned and accustomed to a different style of life. And uh, Leanne's saying, I'm scared of lack. Yeah. Uh, but are you also, uh, what about um, too much? You know, too much and lack are kind of like the same thing in many ways. You don't want too much of something at once. And you also don't want the absence of it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that because it is something that you obviously feel strongly and might never get to say. That's, all, that's, a, good, that's a good question. It's a good icebreaker with somebody new. What do you feel strongly and never get to say? <laughs> you might find you make a deep connection with somebody right off the bat. And so the first step to community is authentically relating. Another thing I've noticed about Africans is you always know how they're doing. They don't try to hide it from you. So they kind of wear it on their face. It's like, how are you doing today? Not so well. You know, I'm having trouble paying the bills. Not so well. I fought with my partner, you know, not so well. You know, there's a, a, a leak in the roof or I'm doing great. I'm doing incredible today. Life is good. It's sunny out. You know, it's, it's simple simplicity. I woke up, I feel happy. The sun's out, you know, I get to talk to great people, you know? And so you always get this, uh, very authentic representation of where they're at. And it's, it's a cultural thing, right? So, I mean, we could be like that too, had we been uh, exposed to generations of behaving like that. So I think in that argument of nature versus nurture, it's very much part of the nurturance that we receive. There's a great movie um, I saw called Babies. Now, Babies, it's a, one of those silent movies. So there's no uh, dialogue, but it basically covers the life of uh, babies born in four different cultures. So one is in Africa, one's in Mongolia, one's in Tokyo, and one's in San Francisco. And it basically... Um, catalogs the life of each of these different people. And you see in Africa and Mongolia, the baby and the mother and the family and the animals and all this, they're always together. It's like an attachment parenting style. And then you see the Tokyo 
San Francisco is like, they love the child. There's definitely a love and affection, but there's all these gadgets and technology, baby monitors and, you know, toys and apps and stuff that the child's engaging with so that the parent can go and work. So the parent can get a break. And not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you can begin to see the line of thinking and behavior that leads to this chronic loneliness, disconnection, and alienation later in life. It's a very fascinating movie, and I'd highly recommend watching it. Now, I'll just type the name again. It's a very simple word, but uh, Baby's Movie. <laughs> Quite honestly, I don't even think I've, uh, I've shared that one with Vanessa. So, you know, she's, she'll be watching this later, and, uh, and we can watch this one together because it's a great, 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 great movie. Uh, even at the time, like I wasn't even into babies. I think I was in my uh, mid-20s at the time. And I still really, really enjoyed the movie. So moving on from there, um, I want to speak to something else, though, because I feel like uh, when we're trying to define what living in community looks like, you know, and what the actual physical representation of that is, many of us do kind of lean to, especially the heart-based people, lean to this eco-village vision of things, of, you know, some level of back to roots, you know, sustainable living, zero footprint, and also living in these kind of cool buildings that are somewhat stylish, uh, but very eco-friendly. And, and, you know, everything's sort of natural and flowing. And I want to say that that vision there, I have a very interesting story around because it's not just something we made up. Um, I was actually, I had the opportunity. I've had a lot of opportunities in life that have really led me to this theme of community. I think it's one of the, the paramount pillars of why I'm here is to help foster that during these times and the times that are to come as I plan on, on living uh, quite a few more decades beyond this one. Um, so uh, I had the, in 2007, uh, I was living in Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver, Canada is um, known for its natural beauty. It's incredibly beautiful, rainforest, ocean, mountains right there um, in the city. And then there's sort of outlying islands and there's a major island called Vancouver Island. And then there's these smaller islands. Actually, you know what, I'll see if I can, um, I'll pull this up on, on maps for you so you can see what I'm talking about. Cause it's good, you know, using, being able to use technology and show you, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what I'm talking about. So it's not just a, uh, um, a random sort of representation here. Okay. So uh, let me just get this going. Share screen. And Wendy's saying, at the workplace, we have to be professional, not so much authenticity. Exactly. That's that exactly my experience with the workplace. And I think a lot of people, that's why they hate their jobs. You know, I've, I've thrown that statistic out there way too many times. But um, I think one of the main reasons people do is because they end up uh, feeling that they have to always be fake. Okay, so here's Vancouver. I had the chance to go to a conference, and it was on Vancouver Island, which is already getting pretty bush. And then we went up here to, um, where was it? It was, it was really tucked away. Uh -huh. It was all the way up here, Cortez Island. So I don't know if you can see this, but we're basically dealing with like untouched wilderness out that way. So there's this 
uh, center. And when I say center, I mean this place was like where thought leaders would gather. It was very sort of uh, innovative. It was called Hollyhock, and it was on Cortez Island. There's nobody on Cortez. Like Cortez is remote. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful. It's it's gorgeous island rainforest, and even though the ocean's warmer there because of the way that the current uh, flows, um, I'll just sort of show you again here that uh, because you can see this is the Pacific, um, and actually water kind of recirculates up here, the ocean recirculates up here as opposed to coming down this way. So this is actually a little bit warmer in here than say on the west coast of, of the island. So it's created this beautiful microclimate in there. And so they built this sort of innovative place where they hold summits. And I was there for a music workshop in 2007, but at the time there was a workshop where Rupert Sheldrake, the um, evolutionary biologist, was there with all these thought leaders from around the world. So this is a pretty high profile event. They had um, remote viewers, so people who had worked professionally as re in remote viewing and psychic work. They had some of the leading uh, scientists in the world, and I'm talking more scientists like Rupert Sheldrake, who are more on the non-physical, studying the non-physical as opposed to the Newtonian 3D science. And they also brought in, um, you know, some of the major philosophers. And um, they all met for this summit, and they were trying to figure out what human life looked like in the future. And the various groups, you know, had different ideas about things. You know, the social planners had one idea, the philosophers had another idea, the remote viewers had another idea, and um, the, uh, the scientists had another idea. But eventually they kind of all converged on one vision of the future. And I remember it to this day. It's like ingrained in my memory of what they described. And I, I just happened to be there. I was chatting with them in the hot tub, you know, after after the conferences, we were all kind of rubbing rubbing shoulders. And and uh, it, was, it was a really cool experience because I was there for something completely different. And then there's all these high profile people walking around. And uh, they told me, um, some of the people that were there in attendance, that the vision they all sort of... Um, had a confluence on was that we would live in these high-tech small communities of about up to 500 people spread across the landscape and that they would be like these nodes and each community would have like a specialty and they would be linked to the other adjacent ones. So yeah, we'd still have cities and, and all that, but it would actually be more about moving back into these distributed communities. I don't know if you, you know, but like, uh, over the last 200 years, 90% of humanity used to live rurally and only 10% used to live in the cities. But in 2022, we've reversed that where 90% of people live in the big cities and 10% of people live in the rural areas. Again, I think that's by design. I think, you know, the ones who like to uh, control and plan society realize they can control and plan people a lot better in cities where you know, people don't have access to um, growing their own things and cities are naturally more expensive and their people living in cities are more reliant on public utilities. Um, but anyway, what they were showing in this uh, model, uh, which I, I think was brilliant because they brought in so many different um, groups to contribute to this model, was that actually we would reverse that trend yet again and we would actually go not into like a Luddite low technology way of living, but it would be a high technology way of living and interacting in these communities in all the countries of the world spread out across the map and that we would be designing these communities um, according to 
environmental best practices. So they would be, uh, you know, definitely low impact, you know, as close to zero waste in alignment with nature. You know, there's a lot of architects now that study how nature works and try to design buildings to emulate that. And um, I've actually been to some of these places, uh, like in Arizona, I went to a, uh, a community there and they had built these homes where they didn't need air conditioning in the desert when it got to you know 50 degrees celsius or over 130 degrees fahrenheit they didn't need air conditioning in the houses in the middle of summer because of the way they were designed and i think that i don't know how we've missed that as a society is that we could design houses that don't require any um heating or cooling and we can make use of natural currents and they knew about this in the arabic world too I mean, in the Middle East, they know how to design uh, dwellings to withstand the heat, you know, make use of the shade, make use of certain pockets of, and trapping hot air and allowing cooler air to flow through the main living areas. And it, the interesting part about these, these homes was that um, they actually had sort of a, a heat trap above. And when they had that heat trap, they were uh, able to, um, to trap the heat and not have to deal with, um, you know, so much of the the direct impact of it. So that was sort of the cool way that they they did it. So it didn't. It was actually pretty low sophistication and low low tech to to do that. Um, but anyway, that vision that I was describing of you know people living in these smaller communities spread across the the, the globe that really like hit home with me. And when I was younger, you know, I was much more ambitious with this stuff. And I tried to make it happen. You know, I went, I dove into spiritual communities to like try to make this happen. I thought, you know, we had to force it. Like so many people probably with good intentions end up doing. Uh, but what I realized was that they all kind of fell flat on their face. Um, a lot of the time, you know, spiritual communities. And I, I did a whole show on, you know, spiritual leaders and, and spirituality. The problem with spiritual communities is they end up isolating themselves because they think that they're special or different. Um, and what ends up happening is they kind of lose touch with the rest of the world. So they sort of evolve, or I should say regress, in a very specific way. And when they're cut off from outside input, they, you know, um, they kind of become a little bit out of balance, actually quite a bit out of balance a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, they try to explain things in a way such as it's society's fault. It's not their fault for doing this. And my experience with that was that it was actually unhealthy in the end, despite the fact that they were talking about samadhi, despite the fact that a lot of these communities meditate a lot of the time and do spiritual things and eat healthy food and grow stuff. It's actually not based in health because the dogmatic element is so strong and it doesn't allow a diversity of thought or a diversity of opinion to exist. Um, and at the same time, I think, uh, you know, I just had uh, some friends who actually went to live in an eco village in Latin America. And they said it was like one of the most draining experiences and they had to get out of there. And so I think too, that even if it's not a community that's uh, based around spiritual principles, the spiritual ideas, ideal ideologies, and philosophies can creep into people trying to force eco-village. And I think the big issue here is that we're kind of not ready for this. 
we have this seed of a vision of what the future holds. And in 20 or 30 years, definitely, I think that we can, we will end up there. But in this intermediate area that we're in right now, we're sitting between two stools. We no longer want the old way of picket fences, consumerist individualism, but we're still a little unsure and a little congested with irritating patterns that prevent us from deeper connection and intimacy. Like we've all realized that we have these schisms in our personality that we, um, you know, might actually withdraw and, and not be intimate with other people and think it's our own and, you know, get caught up in our own issues because we've been brought up with this hyper consumerist individualism as the uh, underpinning of the societies, especially Western societies. Again, um, in my travels, I found, you know, people in Indonesia and Latin America and South America, they find community pretty easily in their own way. Uh, we have more trouble with that. You know, we try to you know have these planned communities and stuff that are suburbs and no one ends up talking to each other or everybody's sort of looking out their window and, and complaining about each other and, you know, bringing them up to the, the local strata or board. So it's the reverse effect of community. And so I think the impulse towards spiritual communities and eco communities is good. I think we will find something similar in the future. But trying to force that now when we have uh, a real lack of experience with anything outside of the societies that we've been brought up in is, is going to be problematic. And so we need a few of these individual um, intermediate steps between where we are now and the end result, which is this vision of a uh, much more cohesive, robust, and naturally aligned future. And so what I hope to do, and this isn't just going to be today, by the way, this is actually going to be the theme for the month of August with Octave Leap. We're going to focus on building community for the entire month. So what are some of these intermediate steps that I'm talking about? Well, first of all, online communities is one that I, I feel like we're all a part of to some degree at this point. If you're watching this, you're probably part of a online community. You're probably one of those people that show up and watch this regularly and know the other people that do because we're sort of in this together. And what I've noticed over the last couple of years of being online and working online and working in groups, running workshops, running courses, is I get a lot of the same people. And sometimes we're in a workshop and everybody knows each other because they feel this draw. They feel this familiarity and these bonds of affection that grow out of the, this group of people. And so what I would say is get involved with online communities. And this don't have to be necessarily about, you know, um, <laughs> you know, survivalism or sovereignty or anything like that. I'll, I'll tell you, um, as a musician, sometimes I'm involved with some of the musicians uh, associations. So they might be around a specific style of music or, um, you know, mixing or mastering or skills in music and that you find commonality. People just naturally help each other out. And in many ways, we see that online. You can go online and you can type into your search engine, you know, how to do anything. And you'll usually find a forum or a thread or a web page or YouTube videos on how to do stuff because people are nurturing community. So in these very basic fundamental ways of how to do things, that can be an extremely potent way to nurture community. And a lot of us don't make the connection. You know, we think we got to go right top shelf, right to the end, 
jump into an eco village and you know plug in with you know a completely different way of living and we miss all the the easy good little steps along the way like being genuinely helpful and genuinely supportive of other human beings and we can do that from the comfort of our own home that's sort of the beauty of online communities another way uh, that i think is a very good way is getting involved with common interest groups one of the things uh, i did when i first moved to australia was i started to um you know go to meetups and uh look out on on local poster boards and that type of thing for other people who were doing similar things. And some of these things were very basic, like I wanted to get into rock painting. So I made friends with people who were painting rocks. And we actually did a really cool community project where we painted rocks and we hid them around the neighborhood. Now we lived in a pretty artsy neighborhood, so we could get away with that, no problem. But we hid the painted rocks around the neighborhood and people would find them and they'd be like little Easter eggs or little gifts for them. So it was a really cool way of saying, hey, look, there's some stranger out there that's just brightened my day because they painted this rock and they left it somewhere and now I found it. So I, I feel like contributing in that way made the fabric of that community just a little bit more tight-knit, a little bit more special. And I like to think too that when we do our part, in whatever way that is, you know, maybe we go and sit with the homeless people and we bring them sandwiches. That, that could be our part. Or maybe we paint the rocks and then the, the butterfly effect um, where, you know, uh, the, you know, the butterfly's wings uh, flap in Brazil a certain way and, it, you know, there's a thunderstorm in the Philippines type of deal where you go and you do your thing and then all of a sudden more people are building and there's more community gardens and people are helping the homeless people in the community and that type of thing. So we just need to figure out what it is, what our nectar is for those common interest groups to get involved with. This is a very basic one, but we often um, lose touch with it. But being brutally honest with each other. I think in this day and age, and I definitely fall into this trap myself, I'll be honest about this, is that we try to put our best foot forward when we're especially online or we're more visible with people. And I just like to say, you know, part of the reason I do that is because I'm a spokesperson, I'm an educator, I, um, you know, I, I run, a, I do a lot of stuff online. So people look to me as a, you know, somebody who's knowledgeable or an authority in certain areas. So I can't be a total mess, but does shit happen in my life? Yeah. Do I get irritable and have bad days and I'm grumpy? Yeah, of course. Um, do I make mistakes and F up? Yes, of course I do. And you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest about them. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and try to tell you that I'm even close to perfect, but that's perfect. Isn't even, you know, part of the picture. We don't need to live a certain way. And, you know, in this ideal, or especially somebody else's ideal, we just need to be authentic and raw to our own impulses and work through the ones that are misaligned or the ones that are unhealthy and begin to nourish the ones that are healthy that might need a little bit more support in our lives. But the only way we can do that is first of all, being honest with ourselves. And then secondly, being honest with other people. I feel that starts here. It's being honest with ourselves saying, Hey, you know what? Am I staying up too late at night? Oh, I think I am. As opposed to, no, nah, no, nah, it's, it's cool to stay up past midnight and watch movies. It's all good. Um, or, you know, am, am I getting a little bit too carried away? Am I working too much? Yeah, I've had to ask myself that question a lot. That's one of my go-tos is I often work too much and then end up out of connection. And even though I'm working for something that I feel is beneficial and will be of service to many people, it's still a way of avoiding connections sometimes with my own family. 
And so being honest and, and, and raw with people, you know, the, the, one of the biggest things I've noticed is when you ask somebody, how are you doing? And they go, good. That's the end of that conversation. It's like, it's a pointless waste of breath. How are you doing? Good. I like to say, how are you really doing? And then you get a real answer. Try that, try that. You know, if you ask somebody, hey, and they go, it's always just like, good, <laughs> good. You know, there's sort of this, this uh, you know, it's supposed to say good. I'm supposed to always be good because that's what I'm programmed to do. No, 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 you got to cut through the conditioning. And so, you know, when you ask people how you're really doing and you pause, give them space to sort of open up. Actually, fuck, I'm, I'm a disaster today. You know, <laughs> I've been completely out of whack with my diet. And, you know, um, you know, I, I've had these, these visions of, you know, kicking the neighbor's dog because it's been barking all night and I didn't get any sleep. You know, that kind of stuff begins to come out and then, you know, you can have a laugh about it. But if you bottle that up inside, you know, it acts as like a shield to connection, a, a shield to authentic relating. And another big one, and this is, this is a, a subtle one, is taking that step and connecting as opposed to running away from invitations. This is one I noticed that a lot of people do. And um, living where I do now, it's very interesting because a lot of people live on this more spontaneous frequency. You know, it's, it's more of a, uh, yeah, the frequency of where we live in this little village, Vanessa and, and Phoenix and I, uh, people are a little bit op more open to, hey, you know, you want to you wanna come over and have a, a music jam? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Or, you know, you meet somebody for coffee. Hey, do you want to go to the beach? You want to go for a swim right now? Yeah, 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 cool. Yeah, I was going to go home and do something, but no, I'll, I'll ditch that and I'll go there. But I feel like those are opportunities to invite magic into our life. We're so structured. I mean, for for lack of a better word, I mean, we, we often live and we're busy. Everybody's busy. That's not an excuse anymore to say, I'm busy, I can't do this. Make time for people. Make time for other humans that might seem interesting in your life. You never know where it goes. You know, if somebody says, hey, you know, you bump into somebody, you start talking, you want to go for a coffee? Go for that coffee. See where it leads. Even if it's boring and it leads nowhere, the benefit you got out of it was that you took that step. I think we all need to do this a little bit more. It's just whatever way that shows up in our life, you know, open that crack a little bit further and take that step towards connection. Octave Leap is, you know, something that I made specifically to open up that dialogue, open up that connection. And um, really the funny thing is it was born out of uh, the crypto revolution course that I ran last year. After that course, I mean, albeit the bull market was still uh, in effect at that time. So everybody was quite um, excited about crypto. It really brought us all together. You know, the, the possibilities of decentralized finance, the possibilities of economic sovereignty and being able to transact and build wealth, they were incredible for people. And for a period of time before the markets tanked, some people were experiencing huge amounts of prosperity. And um, I got to say, you know, I, I did as well. Um, and I took a bit of a hit with the whole Terra Luna thing. I'll be honest about that. I was pretty bought in um, to uh, that particular ecosystem. Um, but after that happened, it made me rethink everything, you know. And so there's been a little bit of a shift away from crypto, although I will I will speak to that in a minute here. Um, but we are also bringing in other things like supporting other contributors. Um, you know, I've, we're just having a meeting, all the people involved with Octave Leap tomorrow, and there's going to be more workshops coming. And they're going to be really cool ones. They're not just going to be about crypto. They're going to be about, you know, bringing more creativity into your life, 
actually being able to build a digitally sovereign identity online and not have to be exposed to big tech or surveillance or monitoring. And, you know, Martin, who's often come on my show and he's been part of Crypto Revolution and, uh, yeah, we've, we've, he was on here last week and, and you know, um, I've had him on in the past on the Blade and Chalice podcast. You know, he um, he's looking at creating more practical solutions for people to actually help them uh, be able to assert their digital sovereignty, which I think is absolutely fantastic. So I want to see that grow in the world. You know, and Alex, who many of you would know from uh, the crypto course, you know, he's actually got a real solid background in business and developing business systems and solutions and bringing creativity into the mix. So I want to see him grow and flourish in his own way there. And so what this is becoming is an ecosystem for people to plug in, for people to get to know uh, what's going on out there. That's the biggest problem with right now online. It's not that we're, we don't have this stuff out there. It's that getting information off, off the internet is like trying to take a sip out of a fire hose. You know, there's so much information coming at you all the time, you can't find it. So where do you go? Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google. You don't find anything there because those are rigged. So you have to know people and you have to follow them on their specific channels. You know, a lot of you follow Oracle Girl, for instance, and the people that she recommends. Like, you know, I was somebody who interviewed her and a lot of a lot of people who watch my content came through that interview, that connection. And so, you know, it's like a riverway. It's like the river cuts through the landscape and then it forms these tributaries. And it's quite a beautiful thing. And so that's what Octave Leap is sort of growing into is an ecosystem, is a community. And I want to talk specifically about uh, the first attempt at a community that we've got going here that's I th uh, that I am so excited about right now to share because just this week, we have launched the Octave Leap crypto community. And the Octave Leap crypto community is... Um, I'll just... I'll show you what it's about because it's gathering around a specific focus. So it isn't, you know, there's no politics, there's no religion in this. It's really about wealth generation, growing your crypto knowledge and your wealth, even in today's volatile market. I can't stress, everyone thinks crypto's done. This is the best time to get in right now. And when there's volatility in the markets, there's opportunities. And so it's not just me doing this, there's six of us. And you can go, the link is in the description below. Go to octaveleap.com slash octave-leap-crypto-community. Links down below. And you can check this out. But, you know, we've got myself, Vanessa. We've got Nick. We've got Alex, Micah, and Kuhn. And we're all here to bring crypto knowledge to you, to help you trade along and grow with us and actually distill crypto from being this big, complicated, scary thing into something that's very simple and works and creates more prosperity and more connection in your life. And I started with crypto because I believe that. I believe that if we can unhinge ourselves from the abusive economic system, from the abusive uh, structures that are in place around money, the number one religion in the world, and get people into their own economic sovereignty, the rest will fall into place very quickly. So please, if, you, if this seems like it appeals to you, check that out. I also want to say too that there's a, um, there is a subscription because I do want to raise funds from there to actually pay for things. And the first thing we're doing, raising funds for, is the people who are hardest hit by Terra Luna. So for the next three months, uh, a large portion of the contributions that we receive for the Octave Leap crypto community are going back to Restitute 
to help restitute people who have been impacted by the collapse of Terra Luna. Not only that, but of course, it's supporting the contributors and being able to build other things with Octave Leap. But we also have a standard rate and a supported rate for the Octave Leap crypto community. Um, so please, if that sounds interesting to you, check that out. You also don't even have to pay. There is a free version of the community as well, where you can just come and chat and hang out and be a part of what's going on. And the link to the Discord server is below. And you can go and, um, and check that out. Of course, if you want to stay up to date on things with what we're doing, uh, just join the Telegram group. Easiest way. I, everything that's happening, that gets announced there. Um, and finally... The last thing I want to say, and this is super exciting, we're bringing back the music. Some of you may have seen me yesterday. I just jumped on for fun, and it was literally a test, but I said I'm going to leave it up anyway, of me, and I was doing a bit of uh, DJing. I was playing some organic down-tempo music. And so what we're doing, what we're bringing is going to be incredible. We're going to have something called the Ambient Lounge. And two to three times a month, we're going to be live streaming sound healing, embodied movement, ecstatic dance, so actually interactive music. So it's not just like a performance, but it's something you can dance to, it's something you can move to, something you can relieve tension and actually open up the pathways in the body but through movement. And it will be move music with special frequencies. So some people recognize the, the work that Vanessa and I have done before uh, around frequency attuned soundscapes. Well, that's coming back. And it's coming back in a new way. I've been spending a lot of time doing research of how to make that better, how to improve that. There's a little scientist in me that, you know, always pushes for further innovation. I love pushing the envelope. Otherwise, I get bored. I can't just do the same thing over and over again. So next week is the kickoff for the first uh, experience of the year. And I just, I'm going to pull it up here. So we've got... Uh, Lionsgate, basically, that's coming up for people. And, um, oops, I, I, sorry, I actually, uh, I was the wrong uh, tab there. I'll be right back. I just need to, but we're going to um, be uh, hosting a event um, for April 8th called Lionsgate. And that's one we do every single year. I'm just going to bring this up. Um, but it's by donation and it's going to be the first a soundscape experience that we have back all year because Vanessa's been off obviously with uh, Matt leave. Sorry, I just had to go through my back um, portal there and I didn't want to, you know, show you guys all the, uh, the info, but we, um, it's going to be Monday, August 8th from 9 to 10 PM uh, because we got to put Phoenix down. So it's a little bit later, uh, but it's going to be a super cool event. You know, Vanessa did a video from outer space here for everybody to see. And um, you know, Basically, it's by donation. We're going to be using the solar year frequency with brainwave entrainment. And um, it's really to bring you into alignment with what you want to do. That's the whole point of this event. And that's what all the frequencies in the soundscape that we're using are there to do. So we're using a lot of science and technology in combination with artistry to bring this experience. So I, I really hope that, um, you know, you'll join us for this because... We've put a lot of time into building this particular soundscape like we did last year, but this is the next level of that. This is the upgrade from last year into something completely new. So if you want to check that out, the link to that event is um, down below in the description as well. And pretty much, I think that's it for today. Um, we're going to be focusing on more community-based 
themes for the rest of August. So stay tuned. And there's going to be lots of new stuff coming with Octaveleap over the next few months. I'm very excited for where this is heading. All right, folks, take care and I'll catch you soon. This is Octave Leap. Innovation, regeneration, and human optimization.